I want to, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 today. And um, I've really struggled. I hate to read super big chunks of scripture to you, but I hate not to read the scripture to you. So I'm going to err on reading the scripture to you. How about that? And then we're going to talk about it. So I want you to follow along with me. We're going to read Acts. We're going to read two chapters. We're going to read Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Then we're going to break these two chapters down. And, uh, and we'll see how far we get today, okay? All right, Acts chapter 3. Let's begin there. Verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at, that, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's 3 in the afternoon. And a certain man, a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was the the one who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was held, excuse me, who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One, and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, in which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. 
For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, whom him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which, the, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man whom they, who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go, out, go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed... That a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, and from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they glorified God for what had been done. For the the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. 
and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had done to them. So when they had heard that they had ra- they, when they had heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand had purposed, determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that, that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now there is so much there in those two chapters. We could spend literally months, um, but we're not going to do that. What I want to do is I want to take these two chapters. This book is called The Acts of the Apostles. But I want to talk to you about the acts of the church today. And I want to look at these two chapters and what was recorded about the acts of the apostles, about the acts of these early believers. And I want us to see uh, certain things that, transpired and that took place things that are absolutely applicable to us today you know a lot of people think uh, i believe that being christian means that we become passive doormats for the world to walk on but that's not the case at all in second timothy chapter 2 verse 3 and verse 4 paul calls us to be good soldiers in Four times in Paul's letters, once in Philippians 2 and 2 Timothy and once in Philemon, Paul calls the believers, he calls the church soldiers. Soldiers are not passive beings. <clears throat> and so we're not called to be passive uh, for the world to walk on us and to abuse us. We're not called to be passive sacrifices, but we are called to be living sacrifices. This is what Paul writes in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And there is a difference between a living sacrifice and a passive sacrifice. 
We're called to be living sacrifices. I don't know if any of you watched it. I don't necessarily recommend it because it is so very graphic, but I chose to watch it because I wanted to to see uh, what my brothers endured. I watched the video of the 21 Egyptian Christians being beheaded. And those 21 Christians died with the name of Jesus on their lips. Some people may say they died passively. I beg to differ. They did not die passively, but they died willingly. They died uttering the name of Jesus in their dying breath. There is a difference between being a passive sacrifice and a living sacrifice, and God calls us to be living sacrifices. We are to have no fear of death, knowing that in Christ, death has been swallowed up by life. Therefore, death no longer has power over the believer. We're called to stand and to fight, to resist the enemy and temptation, and to obey God rather than man when conflict arises. As believers, we should not allow godlessness. Are you listening? We should not allow godlessness to overcome us, but we should be ruled by godliness. We are not to allow godlessness to overcome us and to rule us, but we are called to godliness. And as believers, we are not to be overcome by evil, but we are to overcome evil with good, Paul writes in Romans twelve twenty one. This is what we are doing as we stand for Christ and as we oppose the evil of our day. This is what the disciples prayed for when they came back from opposing the evil unbelief of their day, when the rulers of their day forbid them to preach Jesus. Even in the face of this notable miracle, they said, you judge for yourself whether it's right for us to obey man or to obey God. And so this is what the disciples prayed when they came back. They prayed that they would speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for God's mighty hand of power to move and, for, and God powerfully answered their prayer. If we will pray fervently, God may powerfully answer our prayer. Do you believe that? James writes in his letter that as we pray fervently, we should expect that our prayers have much force. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much is what James wrote. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, has much strength, has much force. What kind of prayer? An effectual prayer, a fervent prayer, a prayer that is, I'm not talking about just praying really loud and being obnoxious. That's not a fervent prayer. A fervent prayer is not how loud you pray. A fervent prayer is a prayer that comes from your heart. Isaiah writes, the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. The zeal of the Lord. A fervent prayer is a prayer that comes from the zeal of the Lord that is inside of you. Jeremiah said, it's like there is a fire shut up in my bones and I cannot keep my mouth shut. And when Jeremiah prayed, he prayed fervently because there was the zeal of the Lord in him and it came out in his prayer. 
This is the fervent prayer that we as the church are to pray. I believe this was the fervent prayer that Peter and John and the disciples prayed. This is exactly what they said to the rulers. You judge, we cannot help but speak the things that we know. We cannot help but tell of Jesus. Is that zeal in you? I ask myself, is that zeal in me? And I can't answer for you, but I'm going to tell you what the answer is for me. That zeal is not in me the way that I believe it should be. Because too many times I am able to keep my mouth closed when I probably should be telling people of Jesus. So I want to go through and I want to look at some things in these verses. We're going to do this pretty quickly, okay? The first thing I want you to notice in chapter 3 is that Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. I want you to focus on that word prayer. Peter and John went up together at the hour of prayer. Prayer must never be neglected. To neglect prayer is to neglect our union with God, and it is to neglect the wisdom, the power, and the grace that flows from God. Do not neglect prayer, but don't just pray mamby-pamby prayers. Pray that God would make your prayers fervent so that they would avail much, so that they would have much force and much strength and much power for his glory. The next thing I want you to see that as they are going up to pray, they encounter what the Bible calls a certain man, not just any man, but a certain man, a man who from his mother's womb was lame. And when he was old enough to hold a cup and beg for alms, they put him at the gate. Beautiful. It's a particular gate in the temple. They put him at this gate and he would beg alms every day. He would beg alms and he had been there. He was over 40 years old. He had been there probably well over 30 years. So think for 30 years, people, year after year, day after day, the same people would come in and out of the temple and they saw this lame man begging there. He probably was there so much that he just became invisible to the people. And I think it's interesting that it says he, this certain man, Ask alms. He saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and he asked them for alms. But look what it says. It says Peter fixing his eyes on him has to now get his attention. Look at us. Because the guy was so used to begging alms, he just would beg alms from anybody. He, it's like the guy had no expectation. He saw Peter and John and he said... Alms for the poor, alms for the lame, but he wasn't expecting. He, wasn't, he, he had said that and moved his gaze to somebody else. There was no expectation of receiving anything from Peter and John, so much so that Peter had to get his attention. And Peter says, look at us. What I want you to see is that if we will be faithful to pray and in the fervency of our prayers, Prayer cannot help but lead us to the divine appointments that God has for us. Prayer will inevitably lead us into God's purpose, into his will, and into his 
divine appointments. And so Peter says, look at us. And it says, fixing his eye, fixing his eyes on him. Peter didn't just look at this guy. The Bible says Peter fixed his eyes on this lame man. We should, as the people of God, see everything around us, but we should not fix our eyes on everything around us. We should fix our eyes on those things that concern Christ. We should fix our eyes on those things that God directs us to fix our eyes on, that God instructs us to fix our eyes on, that God brings to our attention and causes us to fix our eyes on. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians that as we fix our eyes onto Jesus, as we gaze into that mirror and we see Christ, we are being transformed into the very same image. And once Peter fixed his eyes on this lame man, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Give what you have. The Bible says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. That means we should walk in faith based on what we have, not based on what we do not have. Don't put your faith in what you don't have. Put your faith in what you do have. And what do you have? You have Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have Jesus. You could have nothing greater. Peter gave to this lame man the greatest thing he could give. He gave to him Jesus. Now, I know what your question is. I know what you're thinking right now. Yeah, but he did a great miracle. How do I know that God's going to do a miracle through my hands? Don't worry about that. Why are you worried about that? Give what you have. You have Jesus. We're going to see that the miracle didn't come from Peter. Peter very matter-of-factly says, why are you looking at me? I didn't do anything. This didn't come from me. This came from God. If you put faith in what you don't have or what you think you don't have, then you'll never be able to walk by faith and give to others what you do have. So give people what you have. Then the Bible says that Peter took the man by the right hand and lifted him up. What God puts in your hand, lift up. Lift up to him. Peter lifted this man up to Christ. He took him by the hand and he lifted him up. We are to lift up the people, the things that God divinely appoints in our life, and we are to lift them up by pointing them to Jesus. And immediately the Bible says strength came into his ankles and into his feet and into his legs. And he went with Peter and John into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and praising God. Our life is to be lived in word and in deed. People should witness both in our walk and in our words the Jesus we profess to believe in. 
Actions make our words speak louder and more clearly. Joy and praise should be seen and heard as we walk. People should know the source of our joy because they see us and they hear us. Walking and praising. We come here and we praise. We come here and we worship. But what about when we leave here? Now I'm going to confess my sin to you, okay? So the other day, Thursday's trash day at our house. I'll give you an example. My wife brought this to, to my attention in a very vivid way. I don't get mad. I don't get upset at people real easily. I, I, I tend to get upset at things and uh, stupid things. So like it's Thursday morning and the, uh, it's Wednesday morning and the dumpster, uh, the, they're supposed to pick our trash up the next day. And so there's this bag of trash sitting in my kitchen floor waiting to go out. And it was, uh, it, it had, it was kind of muddy and yucky. And so uh, I was waiting until the last moment uh, giving it a little bit of time to dry out. And I had, uh, anyways, two bags of trash sitting there, and I pick up the one bag of trash, and there's just a puddle of stuff. And I said, man, I got all frustrated because there's just a puddle of slimy stuff in the floor there. Like, you know, frustrated because there's slimy stuff in the floor. I'm frustrated because, you know, uh, don't, put liquid in the trash bag because, you know, liquid tends to leak out of the trash bag. And, you know, I'm just frustrated. And Andrea's out in the car, and I'm going out with two bags of trash, and, and I'm just frustrated. And I'm, I'm murmuring and complaining. I'm like the children of Israel wandering through the desert, except I was walking across my porch murmuring and complaining. And my wife very astutely rolls down the window of her car as she's getting ready to go off to work. And she said, it's amazing how you can preach and talk about joy, but you have a hard time living it. And I said, you know, that is so true. I mean, if I let a puddle of slime that leaks from my trash bag in my kitchen floor If it's that easy for my joy to be stolen from me, there is a problem. I'm just confessing. I'm just confessing my weakness to you. And and it shouldn't be. I shouldn't allow things like that so small to just rob me of joy and get me all discombobulated. Next thing you know, I go from having a perfectly wonderful day to murmuring and complaining about what? About nothing just stupid things but do you i don't know is it just me i don't know if you're like that or not but but it seems like life is like that the the silliest things the smallest things seem to rob us of our joy and instead of walking and praising we're walking and murmuring and we're walking and complaining and that's not good it's not good we should be walking and praising And it says that as Peter and John and this lame man walked into the temple, the people gathered around them with wonder and amazement. We should live with a wonder and amazement 
for God. My wonder and my amazement for God should be much greater than my irritation because of a puddle of slime on my floor or because my dog ate the cushion again and left it all over the yard or because whatever, whatever it may be, or because this person didn't do exactly what I wanted them to do or because you fill in the blank. The wonder and amazement of God should fill our lives. And if believers have lost their wonder and amazement for God, how can we expect the world to have it? The life of a believer should inspire wonder and amazement because of Christ. Because of Christ. We should walk and praise in wonder and amazement because of Christ. And Peter and John see the wonder and the amazement and the marvel that people have. And they say, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? (laughs) Why do you marvel at this? It'd be like saying, here we have someone that's been lame since birth and all of a sudden they get healed. I don't know about you, I I would marvel at it. I would be celebrating and jumping for joy. Peter's like, why why do you marvel at this? It's no big deal. You think this is a big deal? Do you understand? This is really what he's saying. You think this is a big deal? Do you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you? You think this guy had a problem because he was lame from birth? Jesus Christ healed you of your sinfulness. He healed you of the death that separated you from God. You think this is a big deal? You marvel at this? You think we did something? We didn't do anything. The world should see us and marvel at the glorified Jesus. Why do you marvel at this? God glorified Jesus. That's what Peter said. Why do you marvel at this? As if we did something. God glorified Jesus. The world should see us and marvel at the glorified Jesus. Listen, I can attest to you, it ain't going to happen as you walk across your porch or down your sidewalk murmuring and complaining. They're not going to stand in awe of the glorified Jesus. They're going to wonder, what in the heck is wrong with that guy? They should never marvel at us because of us. But they should marvel because of Christ. And then Peter says, this Jesus, God glorified Jesus and you denied him. Acts chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. But you denied the Holy One. Guess what? We have all denied him. And we still do in many ways. But his grace remains. Paul writes in Romans 3, quoting the Psalms, There is none righteous, there is none who seek after God. No, not one. But in his grace, God sought after us. God chose us. Jesus says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you, John 15, 16. 
John writes in his first letter, letter you love God not, not for any other reason that, than this. God first loved you. We love him because he first loved us. We've denied him. All of us have denied him and still do in so many ways. Yet God's grace remains. His love remains. And then Peter says, what made him whole was Jesus. In his name, this Jesus, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Faith in his name. Faith comes through him. And through faith in his name, we overcome and we are made strong. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, John writes. 1 John 5, 4. And then Peter calls them to repent and be converted. He says, repent and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. Though we have all denied him in his grace, he grants us repentance and we are converted. We go from rejection to acceptance. We go from unbelief to belief. We go from life to death. This is the grace of God. And Peter goes on. And he tells them how the prophets foretold of this time, of this day. He commands them to repent, to be converted, to trust on Jesus. And we get down to, to chapter 4 and it says, Now as, the, as they spoke to the people, as he's teaching and preaching to the people, it says the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees, Sadducees came along. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached Jesus and the resurrection. They commanded them to stop. They threatened them. They spoke to the people. They taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection. We are called to speak to people, to teach by word and by deed, and to preach with our words and with our life Jesus and him crucified and him resurrected we are to speak the gospel teach the gospel preach the gospel with our whole life that means if I do a a decent job of giving you the gospel on Sunday morning from this pulpit but then do a very poor job of walking it out Monday through Saturday for all to see, I've not really done anything but confirm your belief that the hurt church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. We are all hypocrites. But the fact that we are all hypocrites doesn't justify our hypocrisy. We're all hypocrites saved by the grace of God, covered by the grace of God. But God in his grace also tells us stop being a hypocrite. And it says the people heard and many believed. The people heard the word and many believed. 
Many of those who heard the word believed, Acts 4.4. This is the power of the gospel. This is why Paul says the gospel is the power of God, the salvation. The people in our life will never hear if we never speak. If we never speak, how will they believe? Paul writes in Romans 10.17, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why it's important for us to preach and to teach the gospel, the word of God. It's why it's important for us to read the word, pray the word, meditate the word. It's why we do a catechism question every week because we want the word and the truth of the word to get into your heart, to get into the very depth of your being so that as you walk out your life, as you walk and talk and interact with people, that which is in you will just naturally come out of you. We tend to use the Bible like a reference book. We figure out what our problem of the moment is, and then we go to the Bible and we try to reference our problem, and we try to go to the Scripture and use the Bible as a reference book to solve our immediate problem. But guess what? When, when we don't perceive a problem, we don't seem to feel any need for the reference book. So it just sits there and is never used. And if all you ever use the Bible for is a reference for your problems and your own issues, all you're going to do is become an expert in your problems and your issues. And that's not what the Bible is for. The Bible was given to us to reveal to us Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Peter said about the lame man. His real problem wasn't his lameness. His real problem was he needed Jesus Don't marvel at what happened to him. Marvel that Jesus came to take your iniquities and repent for denying him and trust in him and be converted. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to make known to men. The people heard, they believed. Peter goes on and it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to live lives empowered and ruled by the Holy Spirit. It says that they, they marveled at Peter. They marveled at him because he was able to speak with such boldness. Jesus promised that we would receive power to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit came upon us. He gave that promise to his disciples. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And if you are in Christ, you have received his spirit, so you have received his power. Now walk in his power, be filled with his spirit, and be bold in your witness to him. To be filled with the spirit means that you live a life ruled by the spirit. We want to reduce it down to some ecstatic experience. And say, oh, you're good to go. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've spoken in tongues. You've done this. You've done that. No. To be filled with the Spirit means that you live your life ruled by the Spirit. He rules your walking and your talking and everything in between. And there was boldness. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. They marveled. 
and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness is a product of being filled or being ruled by the Spirit. The world should see our boldness and realize that we have been with Jesus. If we are around people long enough, they should perceive. If nothing else, they might perceive we're uneducated and untrained, but they better perceive that we have been with Jesus. Because that is most important. And then it says in verse 14, seeing the man. Who had been healed standing with them. They could say nothing against it. Seeing the man. The world should not only see our boldness. And realize that we have been with Jesus. But the world should see the fruit of the spirit. And and the result of our being with Jesus. In other words. Because Peter and John had been with Jesus. This notable miracle happened. But the notable miracle was not just a layman being healed. The more notable miracle, if you pay attention, it says by the end of that episode, there were now 5,000 who had named the name of Jesus, who had repented and been converted. We started with 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. As a result of them hearing the word of God, In believing, there were now 5,000 who were following Jesus in this very short window of time. And they were threatened, and they were sent off, and they go back. And there's much I would like to say about their going back and the things that they prayed and the things that they said, but we're not going to do that today. It says they went back and they prayed. And I want to draw your attention over to Acts chapter 4. I want to go to verse 31. And it says, when they got back and they all rejoiced at what had happened. And they prayed, they began to pray. And it says, when they had prayed, verse 31, the place they were assembled together in was shaken And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. In between verse 31 and the end of this chapter, there are five things that are noted. We really just covered all of them and just in breaking down those verses and what happened step by step and the things there. But the result of being filled with the Spirit, we see five things very specific things that happen in the lives of these believers. And I believe they should happen in the life of every believer at all times. And the first is boldness. They spoke the word with boldness. The result of being filled with the Spirit was that they spoke the word of God with boldness. You cannot speak what you do not know. And this is why we must be in the word filling our heart and filling our mind with his word so that the spirit of God can use us boldly. We must not only know the word, but we must rightly divide the word. This is what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. The devil used God's own word to tempt Jesus, but Jesus rightly divided and wielded the word of God to the rebuke of the enemy. 
And when we rightly divide God's word, it is a source of life and light and the power of God to salvation. Boldness is a product of being filled with the spirit, of being ruled by the spirit. The second we see is unity in Acts 4.32. It says they were filled with the spirit and they were of one heart and one soul and they had all things in common. Unity, they were of one heart and one soul. The effect of being filled with the spirit is not only boldness, but unity. We are all to be of one heart and one soul in Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great power, with great power, they gave witness. The result of being filled with the spirit was that they gave witness with great power. We should, we are to give witness with great power. We should give witness to Jesus with great power. The effect of being filled with the Spirit is boldness, unity, and great power. We are called to give witness to Christ with great power as we are filled, as we are ruled by His Spirit. And then it says this in the same verse, and great grace was upon them all all. Grace is commonly referred to as God's unmerited favor, and it is that absolutely. But grace is not only God's unmerited favor extended toward us. Grace is the power and the ability to do God's will. When the Bible says great grace was upon them, we see a church that went out in the will of God, in obedience to the will of God, and they preached the gospel and they lived the gospel. This is the grace of God. Living a spirit-filled life means that you live a life that is filled with God's great grace. And that grace gives you the power and the ability to do his will. And the last thing we see is this, provision. God provided faithfully. It says in verses 34 through 37, nor were there anyone among them who lacked. They brought the proceeds of things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Being filled, being ruled by the Spirit brought the provision of God that was supplied through the people of God. And God's provision through obedience financed the spread of the gospel. That has not changed. From that day until this day, that has not changed. So here's the thing. We cannot continue to be known as a people who preach nice sermons, who teach people how to live better more successful lives, and help people help themselves. That's a bunch of flesh-appealing psychobabble. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That's not what we're called to do. That's not who we're called to be. The message of the gospel is a message of power that is to bring man to the end of himself, not teach man how to help himself or to live by his instincts. 
The message of the gospel reveals that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that catechism's already working. As long as we continue trying to pacify the culture instead of obeying God, our message will continue to be weak and powerless to affect transformation. We will continue to craft a message that is appealing to our culture in the mistaken hope that something in it will catch their attention and draw them to Jesus. But this is pure delusion. The church was never called to pacify the culture or to make it feel good about itself. The church is called to preach the gospel, and the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was a stumbling block in his day on earth, and he is a stumbling block today in the earth. And the fact that Jesus is a stumbling block is God's design. It is better for men to fall on the rock and be broken than to have the rock fall on them and grind them to powder. Jesus spoke these words concerning himself recorded in Luke twenty eighteen. Whoever falls on the, that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. We are too weak and too afraid to let men fall on the rock and be broken. And our fear is not leading men to life and healing, but to the greatest destruction. We have bought the lie of the enemy for so long that we have become afraid to offend men with the truth. We persist in deceiving ourselves into believing that we can live politically correct lives and preach a politically correct message and somehow God will work it all out in the end. And that is not the truth and that is not the example given to us by Jesus. Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth no matter the consequences because Jesus is the truth. He is offensive to those who want to make him something else. The world will make Jesus a great prophet, a good teacher, or one of many paths that lead to heaven. The world makes Jesus a soft man who never offended, who never became angry, and who never made people feel the weight of their sin and their death. Unfortunately, too many people believe this is the Jesus that we are to preach and to teach. We must stop this and return to the truth of the gospel. We must once again preach and teach that Jesus of the Bible, the only Jesus that can save us and deliver us from our sin and death. We must call men, whatever the cost, to take up their cross and die and so trust in Christ and Christ alone for their life. Unless we are willing to do that, unless we are willing to fervently pray to that end, unless we are willing to pay the price that that may extract from us. Until that day, we are not really serious about what God commands us to be serious about. If we are just content preach nice sermons and God help us and God deliver us from our contentment I prayed this prayer yesterday 
And I told the Lord, I don't want to be a pastor known for preaching nice sermons or good sermons. Our sermons have got to be more than nice and good. Our gospel has got to be more than just what the world's expecting us to preach and teach because we call ourselves Christian. The gospel has got to become something real and powerful that is bringing real change and real transformation to our world. But it's got to start here in our own hearts. It's got to start with us. I forbid you to come here week in and week out and hear nice sermons and leave feeling good because you heard a nice sermon. Do not do that. Don't do that. Don't let me do that. If I'm not challenging you, if what I'm saying is not challenging you, then I'm not helping you. I'm not doing you any good. Not one bit. Something we say, something we read, something we preach, something we teach, whether it's from me or the videos we watch or the Bible studies we do, something has got to get into your heart. Something has got to inspire you to be discontent with a weak and powerless Jesus. I watched Oprah Winfrey and T.D. Jakes and about threw up in my mouth. Like this is a man who professes to be a preacher of the gospel. How can you? It offended me to stand there and watch someone who professes to be a preacher of the gospel. How can this be? And I'll tell you how it can be. Because people like me are content preach nice sermons and we're content to have people tell us oh pastor that was a nice sermon we can't be content with that that's not changing the world it's not changing the world when we see the lie we ought to recognize it and we ought to call it what it is I don't care if men call themselves men of God or not It doesn't matter what they call themselves. It only matters what this book calls them. It only matters what this Bible says about us. And we can have the appearance of godliness all we want. I am thankful that my wife rolled her window down and reminded me how ungodly I was being that day. She's not afraid to tell me the truth. Thank God I have a wife not afraid to tell me the truth. But if I'm not willing to heed the truth, it doesn't do me much good, does it? We need to be willing to heed the truth. We need to be willing to walk the truth and not be afraid of the consequences. Remember, I told you two weeks ago, this is life and death. What we're dealing with is life and death. I'm going to be honest. Listen, I love every one of you, but I think a lot of you don't really believe this is life and death. Church isn't life and death to you. Coming here, hearing the gospel is not really life and death. It's just something we do makes us nice people, makes us socially acceptable, makes us maybe a little better than the guy who doesn't believe in God. Listen, it's not about that. This gospel is about life and death. We're dealing with life and death. People are really going to die and go to hell if they do not come to trust in the Jesus of this Bible and the Jesus of our gospel. So we cannot be a people content with a lie. We can't just pet the lie and say, oh, well, no, forget that. 
Forget that. We better be willing to stand up for the truth. I watched those 21 Egyptian Christians get their heads cut off. I mean sawed off. It was graphic. It was bloody. It was horrid. And I wondered, I wondered if I could, what what would I be doing? What would be the last thing on my lips as they cut my head off? As they sever my vocal cords and my windpipe? Would Jesus be the last words? Would I be cursing them? Would I be crying and fearful? I don't know. But I'm telling you what, this gospel is real. Just because we don't live in a land where they're getting ready to cut our head off, don't you think for one moment that the consequences are not just as real and just as deadly because they are every bit as real and every bit as deadly right here in Taylor, Texas, USA. They're every bit as real and every bit as deadly. And I am challenging you, church, to get serious about it. That if you really believe your friends and your loved ones are going to die and go to hell without Jesus, then do something about it. Pray for them fervently. Get your nose in this Bible and learn who Jesus is and beg God with all that you have within you that he would give you a revelation of Christ by the power of his spirit, a revelation that would be so revolutionary it would totally and completely change your life. Where is the church that they say, this, these are the ones who turn the world upside down? You know who we're saying that about today? We're saying that about Islam. A freaking lie. We're saying that about, we've got Christians that are running scared of Islam. And the world ought to be saying about us, these are they who have turned the world upside down. But they're not. And that's a real problem. Sorry, I've kind of gone off on you here. But that's a real problem. It's a real problem. We've got to figure out what the solution is. Well, we know what the solution is. But what are we going to do about it? Are we going to be content? Are we going to watch the news and fret and twiddle our thumbs and be worried? Or we can get on our knees and do something about it. Are we going to go out into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our families and make a real difference? Are we going to go out and speak the truth and not worry about what they're going to think about us? Because if you're not willing to tell them the truth, then who's going to do it? If the people you love the most, if you're not willing to tell the truth to the people you love the most, then who is going to tell them? And do you really love them that much if you're not willing to tell them the truth? If you're content to let them die and go to hell, how much do you really love them? See, these, I'm asking you these questions. You know why? Because these are questions I'm asking myself. I say I love Taylor. How much do I really love Taylor? Do I, do I love it enough? I don't know. Right now, I'm kind of thinking I don't love it enough. And I want God to do something about that. And if that's where you are, then I would invite you to ask God to do something about that. Let's all stand. It's really nice to read about the acts of the apostles and the acts of the church. And have a nice Bible study and a nice Bible lesson and nice points. But when are we going to actually get out there and become this? 
When is this going to become our reality in the world we live in? It has to. It must. This is what Jesus created us for. This is what Jesus saved us for. This is our life. And you say, well, that's not what I signed up for, Pastor. I just want to go to heaven. Well, you better get in the book and find out what the real, thing, real deal is about because that's not what it's all about. And I'm telling you what, while they're sawing our heads off, we ought to be experiencing our greatest joy because of the love and the grace of God that has saved us. Father, Lord, I confess today Lord, what your word declares that we have all fallen short. Lord, I confess on behalf of this church, on behalf of myself as the shepherd of this church, I confess on behalf of the church and this nation that seems to have become so comfortable, so focused on self and success, so much so that we have become complacent with the gospel we've taken the truth and we've made it into a lie and we have failed to discern the times that we are living in and I pray God that you would return discernment back to your church I pray God that you would raise up prophets and you would raise up men of God women of God children of God who will speak the truth boldly, who will not fear the consequences of their words, who will love so passionately, so deeply, that they will not be concerned about the offense that Jesus will be to those who will stumble upon him. But we will rejoice when men stumble upon and fall upon the rock and and be broken because it means that they will not have the rock fall upon them and grind them to powder. God, deliver us from a love that is not love. From a love that is in word only, but is not in deed. Make us a people, God, that the world would say, here are they who have turned the world upside down. Restore to your church, restore to Christ's fellowship a zeal. Restore to the hearts of every person in this room hearing my voice. God, give them a zeal in your spirit that would light a fire in their bones that would literally consume them for your glory. God, we ask you, please do this. Do it for your glory, God. Change us, God. Transform us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.